Welcome back to the New England Take of KXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, and nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. Be sure to also check out our brand new frequency. We're now broadcasting in Manchester, New Hampshire, on 101.9 FM. Excited to be joined today by Brett Wickard. He's the founder and interim CEO of Bull Moose Music and president of the technology company Fieldstack. And excited to talk to him today about some exciting news that was released about the ownership of Bull Moose. We'll dive into that. Welcome to the show, Brett. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, so I am a uh, lifelong New Englander. I grew up in the Augusta Waterville area, so Bull Moose Music was the music store over in Waterville. If we wanted to get the latest CDs growing up (laughs) in the 90s and early 2000s, that's the place to go. Um, Talk a little bit about uh, founding Bull Moose. Like, you were a college student at the time, right? That's right. Yeah, I was a junior in college, and uh, I didn't have a job or anything like that for the summer. And uh, the local record store had gone out of business. So I told everybody I knew, I'm going to open a record store. Didn't have much of a plan or anything. Found the original uh, distributors that we use by looking through the yellow pages. That's pre-internet. You know, you used to just be able to look stuff up and then uh, ordered some stuff and didn't figure out that I really needed a location before I started ordering things. And uh Shocked that we're here. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, and it's ex- it's expanded to eleven locations at this point, right across New Hampshire and Maine. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if you had to describe what makes Bull Moose different from like the other nationwide chains that's out there, I mean, is there something that makes it stand out to you? I'd say one of the biggest uh, uh, kind of secret sauces for us is that we're not really a chain. We're really, we are technically a chain, but each store reflects its community. So we literally let each store deviate to, because the arts really are community-based. They connect us all together and kind of putting a cookie cutter approach to retail doesn't make sense for the arts. You know, music trends are totally different in Sanford than they are in Salem, et cetera, et cetera. Oh yeah, we say here in Concord, that's for sure. It's like I was a longtime producer of Granite State of Mind when it was here on WKXL, and they're broadcasting another station now. Uh, but it, it's funny seeing the different Lakes Region musicians. They're a little more singer songwriter. They do a lot more covers. And you go down to Manchester, there's a lot more hip hop scene down there, and Americana and Concord. So it seems like having an independent uh, mindset like that is is a really helpful way of approaching your your market. Totally. And early on, too, we were, uh, I, I'll confess, I'm a failed musician. If I'm in your band, your band is not doing very well, but I, I'll be the very excited person. But uh, one of the things we tried to do early on was really connect with the local music scenes, too. So at the beginning, we sold all local music at cost. We like just passed it straight through the musicians. And it was uh, a band that talked us into stopping doing that, but still continuing to massively promote it. We kind of viewed it as kind of you know the way that Nike always wants the top top athletes to be wearing Nike. We thought we want all of the artists in in our communities to be going to Bull Moose. So we tried any way to kind of truly connect with them. That's great, and it was really exciting this week to see the news that you were going to be selling shares of Bull Moose Music to the uh, around 150 employees that work at your stores. Uh, labor has been a constant story this year, as <laughs> as everyone's been trying to get out of COVID, and um, there were a lot of labor contracts at major uh, big corporations this year, whether it's Kellogg's or Amazon, Starbucks, actually, um, one of their lo- their uh, 
north uh, northwest locations, I believe, uh, Portland or something like that, actually got a uh, proper union set up. Uh, they, they're in the beginning of the negotiations. But, I mean, this is a big deal this year is seeing the focus on labor happen again. And it, it's really fascinating to see a small regional company like Bull Moose take this approach. I mean, what led you to consider this as an option? Yeah, really, a couple years ago, um, I founded Bull Moose 32 years ago, so I'm an old dude now. And uh, especially my, the 20-year-old who founded Bull Moose would say, wow, you're old. And uh, and about two years ago, I started thinking, well, what's the next chapter for Bull Moose? And I think that kind of New England tradition of family-run companies and everything is fantastic, but it's not my jam. It was never what I was into so when I started considering other options, I thought about, you know, if we sell to somebody else, we'd lose our community feel and we might lose what Bull Moose is all about. And then the pandemic hit, which slowed everything down. But the moment I run in, ran into the idea of employee ownership, it made all the sense in the world. Like, you know, our, our, our folks at the stores already act like owners, you know, they really are into it and they believe in the company. And a lot of folks have worked for us for a, a lot of times over a decade. And so it seemed like a great next chapter for Bull Moose. I really wanted everything to continue, but I also wanted to say there's a natural progression in business. Like I didn't, I don't, I didn't want to be that person who just, you know, stayed at a business just because you owned it, just because you're there. You got to be all in. Like you got to be passionate. And so, um, so it felt like our teams are the most passionate people there, combined with all the you know, how tough it's been to work, especially in a public facing job for the last couple of years, seemed like just a great next chapter for us. And and so, yeah, it's actually done. Like as of the new year, I own 0% of Bull Moose right now. A, a Something called an ESOP trust owns it and our employees own shares in that. So it's 100% employee owned right now. So co-ops co and such have been really blowing up on YouTube. There's a there's a, a very strong leftist crew that's on there that has kind of made it popular, and then it kind of filtered down into people that are a little more realistic on what that looks like, fortunately. <laughs> so people like me can kind of sort of understand what it looks like. Um, I mean, is this would this be considered a co-op, or is that a different way of, uh, of organization? Yeah, it's a great question. It's not a co-op, and... It, and it, it's run a lot like a traditional company. Like one of the things that uh, inspired me about uh, employee stock ownership plan, ESOP form of, uh, of employee ownership is, it is the most uh, successful form of employee ownership. So Harvard Business Review did a study on it and analyzed how those companies did and that ESOPs actually outperform private companies, the equivalent private companies. And that really meant something to me because I really believe in that kind of that balance between things, you know, like almost the conscious capitalism idea. So I think that there that that like not traditional companies, but the idea of that there are difficult decisions you need to make when running a business that might not be best done as a democracy. But then on the other hand, you really do need folks voices. And I think an ESOP has that right balance. So we're going to have like an ownership committee where all of our employee owners can can be part of and, and, you know, affect where we're headed. But at the same time, we're still going to have like a traditional structure of a board of directors and, and those kind of things to have to make the the kind of you know specific kind of um, you know focused decisions that that sometimes that kind of structure does better at. 
What sort of decisions would the employee owners have access to decide on, and how is that structure set up? Is it the the board uh, basically says, okay, these are the guidelines that we're trying to make a decision on, and you make a decision on these specific things, or do they have ways of overruling what the board does? Yeah, great question. So really, it'll be what we make of it. So so the. Our, our idea for it is, and we've talked to other ESOPs and the kind of the most successful ones who've done really well and kind of go off best practices. And best practices tend to be that the board of directors, somebody from the board of directors reports to the ownership committee and gets like, and the ownership committee may challenge that and everything, but the board of directors still is the final say, but the, the ownership committee can say, look, we want these certain things addressed, and you may not be able to, you may not be able to accomplish all of them, or some may not make sense, but all of those deserve a response and a reason why or why not. And so it's kind of that structure. So kind of, um, you know, where where the board of directors, in this case, there's a trustee uh, who oversees everything. They're the kind of final, you know, uh, marker. The, the owner, the employee owners will have a lot more voice in, in kind of, you know, to help guide that. And, and those things really matter too, because a lot of times that kind of the balance things in an organization, the more voices you have at the table, you know, rather than guessing what the team, you know, all of your coworkers want, you know, being able to actually find out makes a difference. What are some other uh, organizations that currently have this ESOP model and what sort of um, what's their success rate when it comes to going into this? Yeah, so um, there are a ton. Of lo- one of the largest uh, ESOP or, or employee owned or partially employee owned companies in the country is Publix, a supermarket in the uh, south uh, southeast. Um, so the very large companies have it. And, um, you know, here in Maine, like Chinbro, I believe, is an ESOP and um Johnny's Seeds is also an ESOP. Um, and, you know, companies of various sizes ha- have had great success in it. But the ones that have success have a couple things in common is they make sure that there's not a lot of debt on the company that and not, you know, that, that if you load up a company with debt, the people, you know, everybody is constrained in what they can do or what they can't do. And the other thing is that people have a, a kind of a mission or a vision behind that they share with each other. And um, the the Harvard Business Review study showed that, you know, that 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 uh, ESOPs, I believe, was outperformed private companies about 20 to 25 percent on profitability. I'm making up these numbers. It's in this range. So it's not dramatic differences, but also in, in employee happiness or welfare indexes, employees dramatically outperform um, private companies. And, and people just love to have a voice in matters, you know, and like if you think about when I think about the way Bull Moose started, we weren't an ESOP, but like we, a small company, everybody knows what everyone oh, else yeah, thinks, right? Everybody knows that, you know, Julie doesn't want to come in early on Saturdays and she doesn't want the music loud, but Jimmy really likes X, Y, Z. And as you get bigger, you lose a little bit of that. It's And you really do need more ways to get those voices heard. Yeah, personally, it's like I 
fully support that concept. I mean, I work on independent. This we're on right now, WKXL is an independently owned radio station. We're not owned by iHeart. We're not owned by Viacom or these other stations. Like uh, Gordon Humphrey owns the station. He keeps us going and may, has say and lets us have a lot of say on what happens. So it's I, I love it from a labor perspective. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and it matters, right? Because like when you really oh, yeah. know each other like that, you can you know, what we all want in kind of work-life balance is empathy with each other. And so like, you know, you know, with, with your organization, like when, when a, when a store is really small, you'll be like, you know, oh, you know, you know, Bill's having a tough day. Hey, let's, if any tough customer comes in, let's kind of, you know, bounce off and like take care of them. And you need those same kind of frameworks as you get larger and hopefully an ESOP will help us with that. So we talk about the positive. I mean, when it comes to the employee, like I've, I do a legal podcast, my full-time job's out of law school, so there's always liability is a big thing that always comes up. I mean, what does the liability look like for the employees now that they have this ownership stake? Yeah, great question. They they have literally zero downside risk. So so although they have an ownership, it's in a trust. So they, mm-hmm. they have that protection, that legal protection that that a corporation gives you but they also don't have any financial downside. Like, so in other words, that, that they didn't have to pay anything for it. They don't have, they don't directly have any debt or anything like that. And so, um, so it gets a lot of the upsides with, with very little of the downsides. What does this mean when it comes to new employees as they're hired or current employees when they leave? And what does that look like? Yeah, great question. Yeah. So we try to set ours up as inclusive as we could. So we, we have it so um, somebody who worked a thousand hours in the prior year will will qualify to be employee owner who's 18 years old. So we went with a the lowest age that I believe we are allowed to get. Like most started at 21, we went down to 18, and and so a thousand hours a year is a little less than 20 hours a week. So literally, you could be kind of a part time person. And so every year, new shares are put out. And the other thing we try to do is say, what's really the bull moose, what's special about our bull moose team too? We have some people been there who've really helped build the company, frankly. And what we are is, is that they've invested a lot of their adult lives in it. So we give three quarters of the shares yearly based on how much you worked and one quarter based on your tenure. So like folks who put in, you know, many more years will get a little bit extra uh, share recognition every year which, you know, frankly, I think is really fair. And I think that if I was a new person too, I'd be like, that's really cool if this person I work with gets a little more because they've been here a lot longer. Yeah, and it, it helps instill loyalty into the company that long term. You continue with the company for another decade, it's going to it's gonna have a real um, positive benefit to you. Totally. And yeah, yeah, so you're you're a legal dude too. So you're like, the, the shares vest in three years. So after okay. three years, they're fully vested. It's cliff vesting. So it just means that uh, for folks who don't know those terms that you have the shares initially, but you're, they are locked into you after three years. So what's been the response from your employees? And we've talked about the whole business side for the first 15 minutes, the last five minutes. What does it mean for the employees and what is their <laughs> feedback? It's kind of important to this. I'm speaking to the uh, interim CEO, so obviously it's uh, it's easy to talk, just dive into the weeds of the business side, but how have they responded? Totally. They, they've been super pumped, and but also there's been a lot of like, well, what does this really mean, you know? And, and it makes a lot of sense, right? Because I've been thinking about it for two years and the way these things are set, you you shouldn't announce it till the deal is done because it would be really awkward to say, "Hey, we're going to be employee owned." Whoops, we couldn't do it, you know. So 
So, um, so we had our initial announcement and people were pumped. And now we're going to, we purposefully didn't build out what the ownership committee will be like, because it's kind of ridiculous to say, hey, everybody, now you're owners. And by the way, here's how that's going to work. We, we, we're building from the bottom up on that. So we're involving, they're literally going to design what that looks like and how that information flow can go, because that's part of listening, right? Is involving people early on. So we said it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, where this is going to be, you know, a, a multi-month process to get these structures in place. But the other cool thing is we just we're keeping operating like we normally do, so we can very smoothly uh, continue to do all the things that we normally do as we put in these additional uh, uh, ideas. Is there any kind of negative feedback you received from the employees regarding it or things that specifically they want to make sure are approached a certain way? Yeah, I'd say that, that you know, the important feedback, like one, one, a couple of employees were like, well, can I opt out? And, and we're like, we don't know because it's just, it's only upside and it's not downside. But then we thought about it and you're like, you know what, part of all of this is all about choice. So there are things like that that we're investigating. We're trying to give as much voice as we can with that. And I would say that that was one bit of feedback. And the other thing was that um, how we announced it, that that em- employees were like, well, we would like to get a heads up. And it's kind of like cart before the horse. It's tricky, right? Because mm. you don't want to let somebody know before something is possible. And that was the advice we got too, said do not tell people until you're certain that you can do it, until it's done. But then at the same time, people hear and you're like, why didn't you tell us anything about it? And I yeah. totally get that. You know, you, you could very easily go down the route of a bunch of employees jump ship, say, oh, they really don't care about the employees. It's super bad public relations side yeah. for that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where it's tricky. And it's, and I don't want to say it's darned if you do, darned if you don't, but it is like it's, it's some of those things, there's no right answer to them. And so so you start and then you want to make sure that you're listening and involving. And once people heard the reason why we couldn't tell everybody before it was done, almost everybody says, oh, that makes sense. I understand that. So what's your role going to be looking like going forward with, with the company? And so right now, I believe your interim CEO, is that for the foreseeable or is that going to be determined through these negotiations with regards to the new ownership? Uh, no. So it's it's going to be, I, I'd say, as long as necessary and as short as reasonable. Mm-hmm. So we've got a couple of, we want to make sure that all of any kind of knowledge gaps we have are filled. So I've got kind of a checklist of things like when these things, when we make sure that we've got redundancy on these like areas, uh, then I'll feel comfortable. Like, like my number one goal is set people up for success. So, uh, so I'm also an unpaid interim CEO. So, so I'm doing it like literally, and I will be an advisor to the company as long as they want to have some old dude give advice. But, uh, um, you, you know, but really it's all about setting them up for success and making sure that there aren't gaps there. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's important from a business perspective. I mean, you, you've, obviously had this company for three decades here it's you want to make sure that the feel of the company doesn't go away necessarily because it's part of the thing that's special about bull moose like you said earlier on in the interview is uh, each store is a little different you want to make sure that you're still catering to your market not going like um, like gamestop which just took over this everything is the same and a lot of places just did not succeed after they went that way totally absolutely and so i'm how does this play into your role at Fieldstack? We'll talk about it in the last segment here. So if you're listening on air, you'll have to check out the, the New England Take broadcast or go to nhtalkradio.com to get the full episode of the interview. But how does Fieldstack play in with Bull Moose? 
Yeah, so FieldStack started uh, about a decade ago, and it came out of um, that that folks in the music business, like on the distribution side, noticed that Bull Moose could do a lot of things a lot better than all the other record stores and entertainment retailers could. And they knew that we had some secret sauce in us. And it was, uh, we'd written our own point of sale and our own kind of um, logistics system, ordering system and everything like that. And so that's what was the genesis of FieldStack. So FieldStack um, does what we call unified commerce, but it's like chain stores like Bull Moose that like, it does everything from their e-commerce site to curbside pickup to their point of sale to their warehouses and stuff like that. And so I was really, a, I'm, I'm a total math geek at heart. So uh, all of us, you know, we, we, we love forecasting and doing math formulas and stuff. So that's, that's a lot of the day. That's cool. All right. Brett Wickard, founder and interim CEO of Bull Moose Music. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. We're going to be continuing right after this on the New England Take. I'm your host, AJ Kirsted. Be sure to listen in Fridays at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 6 a.m. Welcome back to the New England Take and WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. Continuing our conversation with Brett Wickard. He's the founder and interim CEO of Bull Moose Music and the president of the technology company FieldStack, which we began diving into in the, in the previous segment. But um, was FieldStack directly a, an extension of what you were doing with Bull Moose? I mean, were you there? Were, are you also the founder of this company? I am, yeah. I, and, and it is like while Bull Moose was going, like a, about – 10 or a little over 10 years ago, we were in a meeting with Universal Music, which was the biggest distributor yeah. of pre-recorded music at the time. And the president of the distribution arm said, pointed at us and said, you have a secret. We're like, what are you talking about? And he, he showed these metrics that just show that Bull Moose was operating better than all their other customers. And uh, they said, whatever you're doing, we'd love to have you sell it to the rest of our customers. Hmm. And we thought about it and we're like, really this is something that would make sense for all retailers not just for music and uh and so we we i launched another company to kind of make that so it would work across industries and what we had figured out part of what we figured out is it didn't matter just what you were selling it also mattered who was buying it yeah and and so certain people were more predictive of purchasing than other other folks were like early on with bull Moose, there's this guy jack and it, the real person would come into the brunswick store and everything Jack, Jack went to Mount Ararat High School and everything Jack would buy, a bunch of kids would buy, you know, the next week. And so then I'm like, anytime Jack buys anything, I'm going to order tons of it. And then you're like, if you can automate Jack, you know, like then you, you're going to have a much better uh, business. And so we started automating that. It made a giant difference. And then we also started figuring out that after people buy certain things, certain items will make people want to continue to buy more things where some things people buy, people won't buy anything after it. So the, the example would be the most generic one would be like a fish tank. If you buy a fish tank, you're probably going to go back and buy fish later on. And so that's the other kind of analysis that we are doing. And so we, we have um, an analytic engine and kind of these different things we sell to retailers that help make their operations more efficient and help them, uh, um, you know, connect more closely with their customers. And what but the pandemic really yeah. um, helped, like as weird as this is, gave us a huge opportunity in that we had curbside kind of built in. So so suddenly our phone was ringing off the hook or, or our website, our email was coming in. And uh, that brought us a lot of more more clients. 
Yeah, and I'd imagine the more clients you have, the better your algorithms will be able to keep track of what's going on and figure out what inventories would be needed to sell to more clients. Totally, totally. Yeah, did have you seen the curbside pickup aspect of it uh, really been a success for companies that maybe you didn't consider in the past would be useful for? Yeah, so so our our last trip before the pandemic happened was in uh, February, and we flew to a client to try to talk them into using what was called BOPIS, which means buy online, pick up in store. And they literally told us, they're like, this will never work. No one's going to want this or anything. And within, once the pandemic hit, BOPIS was, and we didn't have any clients using it at the time. Then the pandemic hits and suddenly everybody needs curbside and, uh, and, and yeah, it, it's, it, it, I will say as a math nerd, it is really exciting to see technology help people, like legitimately make differences. Like at that point, it was keeping people safer, right? It was keeping at the time, you know, that we were all locked down and we wanted people not to be in retail stores. So suddenly you keep these stores operating, keep everybody socially distanced. And you're like, wow, all that nerdy time working on formulas like is helping. And it, it was it was really exciting. Yeah, it seems like the the it's been the it was 2021 was the year of analytics and whether it's uh legal reform, whether it was business, it, it, it's it's fantastic to see it come to fruition with people like you wanting to um, get more information being used appropriately. Uh, Brett Wickard, founder and interim CEO of Bull Moose Music and president of the technology company Fieldstack. Check out fieldstack.com for that and bullmoosemusic.com if you want to support all these uh, new employee owners over at that company. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is the New England Take in WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. <laughs>